Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, welcome to the Bridgeway Podcast. I've got Pastor of Student Ministries from Bridgeway Church here with me, Seth Stewart. That's What's me. up? How are you, Seth? I'm well. Yeah, I'm really well. glad to have you in here, man. You and I do a different podcast that'll be premiering before too long. I'm and super excited about we've that. We've recorded one. like yeah. seven episodes of it. And yeah. so we're used to talking to each other. <laughs> David's my best friend. That's so right. Fine. <laughs> so I'm really glad to have you on here. Um, it was really difficult for us to figure out what to, what to start with because I think we have so many things in youth ministry and in church ministry that we want to discuss. Yeah. But I think having you just kind of start with the general uh, idea of what is your vision of youth ministry here at Bridgeway and especially what is gospel-centered youth ministry. What does that look like? How does that make it distinct from other forms of youth ministry. That's what I want to talk about today. Yeah. Sound good? That sounds great. Okay. So let's start with that. What makes, or maybe you have to give us a definition too, but what makes gospel-centered youth ministry different? And if you could define that for us too, that'd be helpful. Yeah. Gospel-centered student ministry just means that the student ministry itself has as its guiding value the gospel. Great. So, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's super broad when you say it that way, but I think it's supposed to, to make it distinct from entertainment-driven youth ministry or a programmatic style of youth ministry. It's has a different foundation than other options available out there. So there, is there, there's kind of, it sounds like there's like an underlying presupposition then that um, entertainment youth ministry might say that, well, we need to get the kids entertained to get them here and then sneak in the Bible at the end. Yeah. So I've, I've talked to youth pastors. He'll say that he'll say like, well, student students have a short attention span. So the goal here is to keep them interested make it fun, move it fast. And so that we have an opportunity to share the gospel at the end or in the middle or right. sneak it in somehow. But gospel centered youth ministry has a different presupposition. Yeah. Which it's is... that the gospel is the power of God. Right. So that's sufficient to draw them in, keep them in. Right. Romans one seventeen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the definitive article power of God. Nothing else in Paul's letters is just, described as the power of God except the gospel. So gospel-centered student ministry says, I'm going to take that seriously. I'm going to give my students every single week the gospel because it's the only thing promised to deliver God's power directly to their hearts. Okay, so besides a presupposition then of, we, we, we're starting with the presupposition that the Bible is powerful enough to and effective enough to draw kids in, keep them engaged, and actually change their lives. What else other than, than the presupposition makes gospel-centered youth ministry different or distinct? I think at Bridgeway, at least, what it ends up being is that we we have more values besides just being gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered. We are theologically rich. Mm. We are like we believe that discipleship is best practiced in community. So gospel-centered really just describes our fundamental value and the way in which we do ministry is kind of you add adjectives on top of that. So okay. So what does that look like in different parts of your youth ministry? So like, we're going to talk about your sermons later, and I think we'll probably 
land the plane pretty heavily there. But are, what other elements of gospel centeredness does like how does that affect your youth ministry and its worship in um, like your small groups in the way you pastor kids? Like, could you flesh any of that out? Yeah. So, how do people change? People change when they behold the glory of the Lord. Yeah. So First Corinthians, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians three eighteen right. says we are. When we see Jesus, when we with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Right. So gospel-centered ministry would say that the only real way people change, not just teens, but people change, is when they see Jesus most clearly. So really, gospel-centered youth ministry is asking, how can we, as we speak directly to students, best answer that question? How can we make sure Jesus is most clear to them in every way that we do ministry, whether that's through small groups or through preaching or through worship or th- or through whatever whatever it is. How can we make Jesus most clear? Because we that's how we know porn addictions are stopped, mm. how sexual orientation can become a place of rejoicing and not just suffering. It's how we know that people can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. It's how parents and children who have been estranged or suffered abuse can be reconciled. So like, that's the only power that has power. That's the, yeah, only, that's the only power that's, that has power. It's <laughs> the only power that has power. It's the only hope for students who are broken and suffering, which most students are most of the time. Yeah, so I see a, I see a difference right there. That I mean, I, I think of my own youth ministry experience, and I don't often remember hearing about the gospel and its power to save, its power to transform. I often and most of the time it was an altar call. The gospel come right, and the receive gosp- the gospel. Yeah, the gospel was an end. It was like this, like you you responded to it once, and that right. was it. And then you know, Tim once Keller you- says it like the gospel is the a B- in most churches the gospels is the ABCs of the Christian faith. Right, but. The true gospel is the A through Z of the Christian yeah, faith. J.D. Greer says it's not just the diving board into Christianity, it's the it's, entire it's pool. The pool. Yeah. So I take that to heart when I mm. talk about gospel-centered student ministry. Right. That's the whole thing. Yeah, so you're not going to—it's not so much about getting up and saying, like, stop looking at porn. Here's 10 reasons why you should stop looking at porn. It's how do I show you Jesus in a way that makes you want to behold him more than you want to behold porn. That's exactly right. The gospel— gives us new motivations and new desires. And so Jesus is pursuing Jesus, looking to Jesus, is always obeying Jesus, is always a more joy-filled and better exercise than simply saying no. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So how does that change the way um, that you preach week in and week out? Because that kind of seems to be like what we're getting. We're kind of talking didactically here of like, how you, how do you present the gospel? How do you help kids to move away from sin? And ultimately, a lot of that ends up trickling into how do you preach? So right. you try to get to the gospel every week, right? Right. Yeah, okay. That's right. So what does that look like, and why is that important to you? Help help flesh that out a bit. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons what I could give, but I'll I'll give one. All right. <laughs> I'll give. Maybe there'll be more. It better be a good one. It'll, probably, it'll be fine. <laughs> it, so one, the message of the gospel is countercultural to not just American culture, but every culture and every religion. And especially in suburban American culture, and even in the homeschooled American culture, which is primarily what our students operate in, there is an emphasis on performance. Uh, performance, like do better, try harder, get better grades, sure. work hard, therefore you will belong. You will get to be a part of the school, have the type of 
standard of living that you want to have. I can't tell you how many parents and students I have who whose schedules are crammed full, who feel like they don't have any time for their own family life, and they're just crammed full of extracurricular activities. Right. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Do, do. do. That's that's a that's student gr- pastor joke. That's in a there. student pastor joke. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think the whole world preaches to our students: do more before you can ever belong. Yeah. Every religion preaches the same: do more, sacrifice more, bring the right offering, then you can belong in the heavenly courts, whatever other God. It's only in Christianity where that script is reversed, where you belong before you ever have to behave. Christ comes, behaves on our behalf, and then frees us to live as we most desire to, which is in his presence and sustained by him. Suddenly our career doesn't, or resume building doesn't overwhelm our teenage life, which is what happens most of the time. How can I build a better resume for college? How can I build a better resume for my next job? I see kids who are barely out of college, 17, 18 years old, creating social media personalities for themselves for whatever job they're going into oh wow yeah no it's like it's like people are constantly resume building whether that's through social media through performance or through grades and the gospel cuts through all that really really quickly and so one just easy american cultural idol is that the idol of performance is addressed directly by the gospel christ is performed on your behalf you can rest I think the other thing I'd want to probably say at this moment too is part of the unique challenge of doing student ministry is the is the use of the smartphone, which sounds like every parent's worried about their kid's smartphone. So, I mean, to me, it can often sound like, oh, everyone's worried about their smartphone. That's not that big of a deal. But actually, sociologically, it's changing the way our students interact with each other in a pretty profound way. And actually, um, we need to be careful here because smartphone usage is actually making students kids more moral in an old religious sense of the word really and not a gospel-centered way so? so as smartphone usage goes up kids are having less sex doing less drugs and killing each other less often wait <laughs> so, what? yeah so as kids are engaging with their smartphones more they're choosing to stay home more frequently and not engage in some of the behaviors the church has traditionally said though you shouldn't be doing those things so does that make sense uh, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, I know the stats make sense. I don't understand why they like why they're occurring. I guess I don't understand how smartphone use leads to. It's because instead of hanging out with their friends, they're in their room okay. on their phone, looking at what their friends are doing. So it's one. It's trading one vice for another. Uh, they're trading the yeah. I think they're trading the vice of pleasure for the vice of connectedness. Okay. In in the same way that we would say that premarital sex actually is less satisfying. Like the best that God has for our physical bodies is in a marriage relationship and that the, the marital intimacy fuels bodily passion and like it makes it better. The, there is a false sense of connectedness that social media and our smartphones bring to one another. That's actually killing our students. Mm. So students now are more likely to be depressed than any other era in history. They're more likely to feel lonely 
or think poorly about themselves. And in the last seven years, suicide rates have shot up 84% among teenagers, and it's directly correlated to the rise of the iPhone. So I don't think this is a reason why we all need to go out and take away our kids' iPhones, but I think what it it says is like there is a unique idol in our culture of connectedness that really clearly undersells its promises. It promises, hey, you'll get to be connected and you'll get to see your friends and be with them all the time and feel included. But what it actually does is it creates jealousy and envy, wondering why you're not in those positions and not, not in those places and you're not getting to experiencing that thing. And when you see whatever is on Instagram, whatever else, it's always a photo perfect moment right. or opportunity. So you're seeing the best two second snapshot. So it creates a profound sense of um, unease with your own life. Like mm. your life is ugly in comparison yeah. to the photo, the, the the filtered thing you see on Instagram. Right. So when you're you're coming into a youth group with those kind of stats and worldview in your mind, how does that? change the way that you preach the gospel? How does the gospel, like you said, kind of cuts through different issues? How does the gospel cut through this issue of uh, the lie of connectivity? The gospel cuts through it through it because when Christ has died, he's created a new community of believers mm. among us. And so one of the reasons why we, we emphasize small group commitment and community group equipment is because in Christ, there is true community and true belonging that doesn't exist outside of the church. Yeah. And so we can call students truly to not only a better relationship with God that feels real, that has it's connected emotionally, spiritually to him in worship and through prophetic words and through whatever else, but also through community. Like God is sustaining and building a people that feels like a people, that Mm. feels better than what social media offers. And so I think part of the gospel call here is not only do we have a connectedness to Jesus, to God because of Jesus, but he's also purchased a community that is a powerful antidote to the suffering, depression, and suicidality of teens today. Man, that's uh, that's a lot. I yeah, I, is that? Can you link us to a, a study? Like, where did you get all those? Yeah, stats? I, it's uh, her name's Jean Twen, uh, Doctor Jean Twen. Okay, she has a book called iGen. She wrote an article on the Atlantic. We can link to it. Okay, in the we'll podcast. link to that in the podcast description because I'm sure people want to check that out because that's yeah. that's mind blowing to me. I I didn't know about that. Yeah, I'll link. We'll link to a couple articles that okay. I think have been helpful for me. There's another one on por- how porn is changing our students. This one was really influ- been influential to me and some other things. Great. Yeah, that'd be really helpful. So in light of all this, I mean, you're talking about major sociological changes and shifts. uh, And then, you know, you seem to be coming in here and you're not talking about iPhone use whenever you get in the pulpit necessarily. You're not, you're not saying here's a topical sermon on how your phone is changing you. No. Right. You are opening up the Bible week after week preaching through books of the Bible. You're preaching what we call expositionally. We had Sam Storms on here a few episodes ago talking about why he preaches expositionally. And now you're saying that even in the youth group, you preach expositionally. So um, why? <laughs> you know, right. yeah, why? Well, because my commands and my advice and my wisdom is not promised to change students' hearts. Yeah. So what is promised to change students' heart? Isaiah 55, 11 says the word of God does not ret- return void. Mm. It says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and it divides between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. 
that scripture is sufficient to rebuke and exhort and encourage believers in godliness. So like if I get up there and give topical sermons on why you shouldn't engage with your iPhone and say, here's 10 tips to do it. I'm actually just giving, I'm not giving them any real power to change. So the reason I preach expositionally is because without scripture, I'm not availing them. I'm making available to my students one of the few powers Mm. available to them to help them change. I think tips and helpful articles and whatever else can do that, but that's secondary. They have to come alongside They have to come alongside the power of the Holy Spirit working through not only scripture, but also the gospel before I ever hand out a tip or a trick. And if I only have two hours a week with these students Mm. and only 25 minutes of that will actually be me spent teaching, (laughs) I want to make sure that I'm giving them the most powerful thing I have available, and that is the word of God and the gospel. Yeah, and those go together for you. We, we, we mentioned that a bit earlier. Maybe you can unpack it a little bit about how expositional preaching and gospel-centered preaching go hand in hand, because that wouldn't be the case for every expositional preacher. Just because you're an expositional preacher doesn't mean you're necessarily getting to the gospel every week. Right. So what what makes that a not only distinctive in the way you approach preaching, but also almost a non-negotiable in the way that you approach preaching? I always get to the gospel in my expositional preaching because, one, I think I have biblical warrant for it. Yeah. So Luke 24 talks about these two guys on the road to Emmaus and Jesus opening up the Old Testament to them, and their hearts are burning within them as he does what? As he explains how he is the point of all of Scripture. Obviously, he's referring to the Old Testament in that, but that's true of every single text, most preeminently because God is the author of every single text. And we're told that the fullness of the revelation of God is seen shining in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we do have scripture as God's revelation, we should be looking for that scripture to be fulfilled and completed and seen most clearly in Jesus. So when I'm preaching, whether from the Old Testament or from the New Testament, and each year I make sure I try to do both, um, I preach Jesus every time because if I want my students to take a moral command or a piece of biblical truth and see it most clearly, it will most clearly be seen by showing them Jesus embodying that moral value or that you know, whatever it is. Like right, a story it, or a truth or anything. Anything. Yeah. like It will most clearly be seen in Jesus. Right. So, I mean, I think that's why I preach Jesus every week. And again, the gospel is God's power. Yeah. So, yes, the word of God is uniquely powerful in spiritual formation, but we're also told the gospel is the power of God. And so I want to make sure that both of those things are made available to my students every single week in the preaching of the word. So we've, we've talked um, a bit about what is gospel-centered youth ministry, how that makes it distinct in, in your ministry or here at Bridgeway. We've talked about um, trying to get the gospel every week, expositional preaching. We've talked about uh, all the sociological issues that are facing our young people and how you, you don't, you're not intimidated by those to such a degree that you will only speak about those. You realize that the gospel and God's word stand above them are the only things that can correct them. We've talked about a lot already in, uh, in a short amount of time, really. Yeah. Um, and so what, what, I, what I really am curious about, you've, you've, you've unpacked this with me a bit um, over a year ago, and it was really um, enlightening. 
talk to me a bit about how gospel-centered youth ministry affects you and your own experience of being a youth minister. Yeah, one of the, I couldn't tell for a while whether or not I should be frustrated by this comment or like encouraged by this comment. <laughs> but I, I hear pretty often from people that like, man, student ministry is so hard. The challenges facing our young people today are so difficult. And part of, part of me felt a little patronized when I would hear things like that. And I, and I think that's the wrong response because student ministry is difficult. And it is, in some sense, the for, the bleeding edge of cultural change. So mm. a lot of times, like, my students are experiencing things or hurting in ways that our adults just haven't even processed yet. So, like, there's, like, a sense, like, I have a hard job because our students are getting pounded by cultural waves first and fastest. I also have, like, a high turnover rate in our student ministry. Right. Um, and I'm also the only other pastor besides Sam to have a weekly preaching responsibility. Yeah. So sometimes, like, so like people say, like, you have a hard job. It's like, I want to honor that. It's like, okay, I think I, part of me wants to diminish that and say, oh, that's not, that's not true. But mm. I think, I think there is a sense that's true. And the reason why that's Im- important in this context is because it, it's oftentimes just left me totally exhausted sure. and really discouraged. I've also talked about with this with other youth pastors, how student ministry is a discouraging job because it, um, you don't see fruit, really. Um, you are talking to generally a room of non, non-believers or people who grew up believing who are just now grappling with their faith mm. and who most of the time don't exhibit true signs of spiritual growth until college. And then we also are facing the reality that 50% of people that go through student ministry end up dropping out of the church once they hit college. So like I'm in a space where I just don't see a lot of fruit. It feels like I'm planting gospel seeds and never seeing any sprouts. It's like, I don't see a lot of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So it, it tends to, it contend and has tended to make me pretty discouraged right. in the long haul yeah, sure. of preaching. And so getting up on the pulpit and preaching can feel exhausting. I think part of that too is like my own pride, like wanting students to like me, but you know, <laughs> right. like, yep. but the way the gospel has changed that and helped me process through the difficulty of the job and in my own pride is that it goes back to what I've already said. Yeah. The gospel is the power of God. And so I think a lot of the time it's easy to try to do student ministry in my own strength to face up against the cultural waters in my own power mm. to be likable by force of my own personality. But when that's the case and when I believe that's the case, it makes me discouraged and exhausted far more quickly. Mm. So when I trust that the gospel is God's power, um, like I finally know that there's a power greater than just grinding it out and that the guarantee the task will be finished and there will be students worshiping around the throne isn't because I was just a hard worker. It's because God is working in spite of my weaknesses. And so like, in his power, like unlike my words, which were are fine, you know, his word promises to sanctify students mm. as they're hearing it. So part of the reason why I preach the gospel every week, and part of the reason why I read script, I preach from scripture, is because if I don't do that, I'll get off the pulpit feeling like the weight of the world is on me. Yeah, sure. Like these students depend on me being interesting enough that they remember this for the rest of their life. But like if I preach the gospel every week and preach scripture every week, I can actually just fall asleep when I go home <laughs> like, because like God, the, the word will do the work. Yeah. The word will do the work for them. So I think this is also important for parents to understand too. Cause I mean, 
parenting is hard, especially, and I, I can't, every parent of a teenager I've heard is like, this is the hardest, the hardest thing that I've ever experienced. And it can be really, because disc- I mean, in parenting is different from pastoring in that you're like, you're not only giving them theological truth, teaching them about God, you're also trying to help them be a man or a woman yeah, and sure. live a life and to live like a steward or a Bowdoin or, you know, whoever. Yeah. But like, there is a lot of freedom in resting in the power of God. If you have regular moments and times through your, with your family where you are preaching the gospel and just reading the word you can let go of a lot of that parental anxiety in the same way that I've let go of that pastoral anxiety because the word will do the work. The gospel will do the work even when we feel like it's not effective and nobody laughed at my jokes or whatever else. Like it, it does the work. And when you preach the gospel to your student, your child, the power of God shows up and it's that power has literally been bought by Christ's blood. So when you are preaching faithfully to your kids the true power of God, the Holy Spirit must respond if God is going to be faithful to his own son's blood. That's why we must do this all the time because it's the only like rest we will feel. Our students feel the weight of performance, but as pastors and parents, we feel it too. And the only rescue from that is the work of Christ. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, and like, yeah, my... My son will be here in like two months or so. Exciting, and yeah, that that provides me with some some <laughs> some good level of peace about yeah. There is anxiety. I've been sending not even David all these text messages about what it's like to have a boy and how intense it is. <laughs> we go, yeah hashtag immer, uh, immersion therapy is what we keep calling it. Yeah, um, yeah. I keep uh, my, Megan, my wife, was on Facebook today uh, while we were at an OB appointment, and she she said that a friend of ours um, like had this post about how hard it is to raise a teenager. And he was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through. Please provide any prayers or advice you can give. And we're like, oh man, poor guy. And then this person gets on there and comments and says, oh, that's strange. I have a 17 and a 19 year old and they've been perfect. I've been really blessed. And I'm like, it's like, that's the worst pastoral response. Nobody wants to be friends with that person. (laughs) So you're a little bit more helpful today than that person was to my friend. Um, I uh, hope so. I mean, I think it can also sound like, well, that's a great response, Seth, but like it's hard in the trenches. And and I get that. I mean, I know it's hard to be a parent. Right. It's so hard to be a parent. Well, and you know what, how hard it is. Like you talk about opening the word with your kid. Like I've been around your house whenever you've had family worship time and you tr- tried to open your Bible and your kids are running around and it doesn't actually go like you want it to 80% of the time. Right. But so, yeah. I mean, yeah, talk, I mean, you know what it's like to be in the yeah. churches. So offer us some last minute encouragement <laughs> here with that. Yeah. We, uh, family discipleship, I also am part of the family discipleship to right, yeah. Bridgeway and the purpose of family discipleship is to equip parents to be the primary disciple makers of their children. And the reason we said it that way is because that's actually a God-given role for parents to be the disciple makers of their children. They, we occupy a special place in God's redemptive purposes to bring his grace into our families. Mm. And so we don't have to be totally overwhelmed by the cultural tide because God's already sovereignly orchestrated the shape of your family, whether you're a single parent or not, to be a means of grace for your kids. Wow. And when you are faithfully proclaiming the gospel and preaching the word, you are doubling down on God's power and God's grace 
grace for your family. So even if it's you feel you're being unsuccessful, you're not. You're being faithful. Mm. And I think we can rest there because Christ has been faithful to us. Yeah. Man, that might be another episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I want to talk more about that, actually. Maybe I'll twist your arm into talking more about, about God's, yeah, I think... God's family plan for saving our children. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, yeah. awesome. Well, we, we'll save it for another time. Thank you, man, so much for being here, for laying some of the groundwork of gospel-centered youth ministry that I'm sure we'll stand upon in later episodes. Um, yeah. Any last any last minute adieus to the audience? No. Hi, hi wife. Hi, oh, Erica. You think Erica's listened to this She'll far? Ne- she will never <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, one thing I am excited to talk about with you is just how parents can engage with culture. I know that's right. Gonna, I think I, that'll I, be our next episode, actually. I'm super with you. excited about yeah. that. Like, how can we in- critically engage and consume culture with our students? Yeah. It's a, it's a question a lot of parents wrestle with, for sure. Yeah, well, I'm excited about that. Awesome. That'll be great. Again, thank you so much, Seth. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchokc. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.